Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name is Joe Sage and I'm a producer and mix engineer at Nevis Audio and I am, as ever, joined by... Phil Salter, mixing and mastering engineer from Vortis Sound Studios. Although I must point out that I wasn't here two weeks ago, so not as ever, but on the whole, on the whole. How you doing, bud? I'm doing good, thanks. Um, another, another week, another week in, in sort of lockdown, which Britain's entered in the moment. Into the moment, it's a bit weird. Um, I had a horrible um, realization of age this week. Right. Um, <laughs> so I've got this half-hearted lockdown beard that Joe can see and no one else can. Um, that's sort of not growing at the sides, but there we are. Um, and I was just looking at myself in the mirror not not that i make a habit of it but i was and i noticed what i'm fairly sure was a gray hair oh come I, on <laughs> that's your first <laughs> that is genuinely my first genuinely i've got i've got, I've got you know ginger oh. gray it's all going on in my frank zappa lockdown I, mustache I, th- I think it was why i don't know i don't know it might be in the light but anyway my 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 vanity i i, I chopped it off <laughs> Let's not pretend that's there. My uh, my partner's favourite game is to find all the grey hairs on my head. What a lovely game! Yeah, I tell her it's her that's caused them. But uh, <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. How are you? How are you, Jeff? I'm doing good, mate. I'm doing good. I'm on a 72 hour countdown to being back in the studio again. Wait. At insert, the time of recording. Insert a, insert a crowd cheering. Yeah. By the time this goes out, I'll, I'll have probably, you know, done two sessions the by then. Yeah. But um. But yeah, I'm really excited. That and um, my friend sent me a picture of the dog he's going to get. And it's really adorable. So I'm just on a bit of a high from that. What kind of dog? I love dogs. It's um, it's a husky cross. Ooh. But it's, oh. It's, it's just gorgeous. It's a gorgeous looking dog. Sorry for the cat people who are listening. Boo. But um, anyway, <laughs> what are we going to talk about? This week, we are talking about pre-production mm-hmm. of your music. What is it? How to do it? All those kinds of things. See, so I feel like there are two very different types of pre-production that we should outline. One is in-person pre-production and the other is remote pre-production. Now, if you're listening to this at the time this goes out, for obvious reasons, remote pre-production has tend to have been the favorite over the last few months, mostly because in-person has not been physically possible. But I feel like going forward, hopefully, more in-person pre-production is going to be possible. Hmm. Do you think one's better than the other, or are they just different? They're just different. Different horses for different courses. Different courses for different horses? Horses for courses. Horses for courses. So yeah, I think the first one I'm going to tackle, because I think that's something that I have a bit more experience in, Mm -hmm. is in-person pre-production. So that is where, typically... If I'm working with a band, we've agreed studio dates, it's all hunky-dory, deposits have been paid, etc. Then I will go into uh, their rehearsal room with them, armed with all my tools, my entire production arsenal, and we will make the songs to the best possible version they can be before we hit the studio. Now, (laughs) my first question which comes to mind is, last time, last week, we talked about writing... Mm-hmm. So, in what way is writing a song different to pre-producing a song? Because I can see elements where they bleed into each other. Yeah, there's definitely no fixed structure as to which can be mm. which. 
I feel like pre-production is probably the stage where you're happy and set as a band and you're happy with it as a song. And now you're looking for a producer that's going to bring his or her technical know-how and his or her experience and help you craft that into an actual song. So whether that be maybe making suggestions from a bird's eye view because they've Mm. never heard the song before or going, well, maybe that section might be difficult to craft into um, into an actual production that's going to come out with the speakers. Here's how we could do that better. I think we can maybe try these elements and that elements, etc. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's, it is a lot of similar general things to what we were talking about last week, but it's when the producer's there and the producer's having some input. So it's... I think it's a case where, as a band, if you're going to hire a producer to do your next EP or whatever it is, write the songs yourself obviously make them the best you possibly can on your own when you're in that phase but then when you take them to the producer again hold them lightly to the point where things could change it could the order of the song could change and things like that yeah i wouldn't say there's no room for pushback though no like yeah. if you're if you're obsessed with one part of a song and it's your emotional artistic child then you know, don't just immediately go. No, okay, I'll I'll sacrifice that, and we'll it'll never make the light of day. Just go. Well, you know, I really like this bit. Is there a way we can we can incorporate it in? Mm. Like, it can be a conversation. It's not a dictatorship. Very true. <laughs> Hopefully, but what you were talking about last week, I remember, um, was a lot of what is the band looking for from this release, this piece of music? Are mm-hmm. they looking to chart, or are they looking to have like a? you know, their kind of musical baby that everything they ever dreamed of in an album. So I guess that would probably be an early question when you're in the room, say, with a band is what are you looking for for this release? Yeah, and I certainly think it's a time when you can start bringing up production influences. Mm. So so as part of my pre-production, I'll either bring like a little Bluetooth speaker with me or hope that the band have got a PA and we'll play some influences so they can go, oh, yeah, well, we kind of want this section to work like this or we kind of, you know, draw influence and we want similar sounds to this song. Then that can influence how the pre-production goes and how we approach songs and how we'll approach the studio. Makes sense. It's a very esoteric process, I think. It really does depend on the band and the producer to how that works. So I think you're very much talking about your own approach rather than anybody else's. Yeah, and I think it's a difficult topic in that sense because I can't talk about other producers' pre-production techniques purely because there only usually tends to be one producer. So I'm not sitting in on another producer's pre-production. I can only speak from the experience that I have and what it's like to work with me. Yeah. You you can only speak about what it's like to work with you. Wow, that's a... A weirdly constructed sentence. Anyway, um, so do you, as a producer, um, try and get an album or an EP to work coherently as well? In terms of like, here's the kind of style of music we write. And you know you know how we, I'm going to speak for myself. I've heard some albums that sound very um, schizophrenic, where there's mm-hmm. all kinds of different styles of song from every genre, and it's this one band. And you go, well, what's the band's style? There doesn't seem to be one. So is that part of your process as well, where you try and work out what what the band's style is? Again, I think that comes from asking what their goals are. So mm. if they want a prog rock concept album, 
then firstly, why aren't you working with Phil instead of me? <laughs> but <laughs> another question is then, okay, that's great. Then we'll aim for that and we need to have consistency across the production. But if you're going, well, we kind of want 10 singles, because sometimes, you know, if you're doing uh, large periods of studio time, it's not necessarily, oh, we want an EP. Mm. They might just bundle together some time. So they go, right, whilst we're in the studio, we're going to tr- record four or five songs. And if they say, well, yeah, we want to try a few different styles, we want to have maybe. For example, three really strong three-minute pop songs that we think will resonate well on Spotify playlists, BBC Introducing, etc. And then we might want to have two others that are going to be these big, explorative um, productions that are going to have loads of dynamics and it's going to be us just exploring the fringes of our inspiration. So yeah, I think it's important to establish those things. I just don't think there's a necessarily right or wrong approach. That's a, it depends depends on the situation mm-hmm. um, very much. So if you if you join me in picturing the scene, I like to do this kind of thing. So Joe, you're you're there in a rehearsal room. It's a surprisingly nice rehearsal room, but there we go. <laughs> and you're in there with an indie band, because it's always an indie band that I talk uh-huh. about. <laughs> I do work so, in other genres. I, I, like I know you do. <laughs> I know you do, but indie seems to be always my my point of reference so we'll go with that um, so you're in there with this indie band and it's like a proper four-piece band kind of mm-hmm. usual kind of setup and they've shown you their songs um and you've had a lesson and there's maybe one or two parts that some of them are struggling to play um so maybe it's just a bit too complex for their kind of their skill level if i'm going to be blunt about it um Mm -hmm. or maybe it's just not quite working in the song or something like that what would you do would you try and tell them to sort of gently go away and rehearse more or would you suggest that they change up the parts to make the song work firstly i think there's got to be a quite large element of leeway in performance purely Mm. because especially if they're a new band or they're new songs, they might never have played them to anyone before. And I still stand by as a person who used to do some session work and some live stuff, that playing to one or two people is a lot more difficult than playing to a few hundred. It is. Purely because you feel like there's intensity. And especially as well, if sometimes when I go in on uh, pre-production sessions... I might have had really in-depth conversations with uh, the singer or the guitarist or say two members of the band and that's how we've organised this session. But I might be meeting members for the first time. So it can be quite a... It can be quite a difficult thing sometimes. So I think you've got to kind of allow leeway for people Mm. to make make some mistakes. Um, Typically what I'd say I'd do is I let them kind of run through all the songs first that they want to show me. So again, you know, a lot of pre-production can just be a case of picking out what songs are the strongest. So um, typically if a band says, oh, we want to record four songs, then they could run through anything to like 10, 20, 30 if they have them. And I'll be constantly making notes. I've got my voice memos up on my phone. I'm making notes as I go along. And a lot of it can just be down to actually just picking the songs first before you decide to kind of get into the nitty gritty of arrangement. Mm. So, I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but to ask the obvious question, 
in an ideal situation when you're working with a band, they're going to have far more songs written than they want to record. Yeah. And I think also as well, I would say personally, I'm interested in almost like the half spaces. So maybe the ideas that didn't quite make it into full songs, because quite often I've run into situations where a band right at the end has gone, oh yeah, we've got this one other idea. (laughs) They play it. I slam down my notepad and I say, why the hell have you never played me this song before? (laughs) This is the best song I've ever heard. So yeah, I'd say, again, speaking from personal experience, I kind of want to hear all the ideas, get them out the way, and then we can kind of pick a song and refine that. Because there's Mm. nothing worse than, say, picking a song, working on that pre-production, nailing the arrangement, and then they go, oh, well, we've got this other song. And immediately in your head you go, oh, well, that's, that's the greatest song that's ever been written. Well, why, why did we spend time working on the other one? You don't want to waste time, basically. Well, it's not wasting time. Well, but I think, especially as well, if you pick another one and you focus on it, there's a tendency to just then only focus on that song. So then enthusiasm is lost for other songs mm. and stuff like that. So yeah, I kind of want to hear everything first and then narrow it down to song choice. That's fair. So what are you wanting to come out of that room with? So, you know, you've you've obviously, I'm guessing you want to come out with a set of songs to record, however many that may be that the band want to do. Do you come out with some kind of recordings on your phone of them so that you've got them to listen back to and a notepad full of notes? What What do you come out with and what do the band come out with? Yeah, so I tend to come out with a absolute boatload of voice notes and it's similar to how we were talking in the past about the campfire test voice notes i feel like are a really good way of just stripping back the song mm. and kind of going okay yep this is the song barest bones there's no productions for for it to hide behind and you can quickly tell when you listen back and you're not in the room you're not overwhelmed by the volume <laughs> especially when i've worked with some rock bands you kind of just get overwhelmed by martial cabs <laughs> oh, yes. so it's good to actually listen back and go ah, now it's quieter that riff isn't actually working all that well um as well as like you mentioned I'll, i'm a pen and paper guy so i'm going to be making notes throughout the songs um and typically what the band will come out with is if it's the first session they'll have a probably a clear vision of what songs they're going to record in the studio more often than not, they ha- might have a little bit of homework from me. Mm. So that might be, uh, say, they've been working on a song and they've shown me, and I might go, cool, I think you have a, you know awesome lead guitarist, and I think they could do some parts in the verse of this song. So they can go away and figure out the verses and stuff like that. Because to be honest, unless I'm writing it, it is an incredibly difficult... <laughs> thing for someone to write parts on the spot with the other (laughs) band members watching the producer in the room like we said there's nothing worse in the studio than someone trying to pick out vocal harmonies (laughs) it's even more difficult to write guitar parts on the spot as well yeah so how many typically i mean i'm sure this varies from band to band Mm -hmm. how many pre-production sessions would you do with the band and over what kind of period of time especially if you give them homework i don't imagine it's Hmm. quick succession um, or maybe it might be i would always like to do it over a longer period of time than than's ever possible 
So um, I will do pre-production whenever I can. The earlier, the better. It often just tends, pre-production tends to be just a dialogue for like a few months beforehand. Sometimes it can be a very intense thing if I'm brought on last minute and say, it might be a week before the recording session and they've say got three rehearsals. I'll turn up to number one. We'll, uh, like we said, work on the songs, kind of give them some homework, give them some feedback. They'll kind of have a second rehearsal to themselves to kind of figure all that stuff out and go through what we've discussed. And then I'll come in for the um, final one, final rehearsal, and that's really just tweaking and just finessing things before we go into the studio. Hmm. Makes sense. So it very much varies depending on what's available in terms of time, I guess. Yeah, I think that's fair. So you... Presumably, Joe, when you've been in the room with them and you come away with some recordings, that might mm-hmm. sometimes or maybe even often turn into the second style of pre-production, which is a distanced online kind of version. Yeah, 100%. Mm. So that might be um, either them going away and they might program drums or as part of sometimes the pre-production session, I'll bring a very small recording rig. So if, you know, we were talking about indie bands before, if uh, I just might bring two mics so I can just do a quick, you know, quick and dirty drum recording to a click, quick, really super quick guitar, vocals, bass, whatever. And then we've kind of got a rough demo that I can go away, throw into Pro Tools and I can kind of mess about and we can do pre-production back and forth remotely. Mm. So this is... is the ability in that in that case it's the ability to sort of play with the sound without being in the room yeah like we said before i think there's a great advantage of doing remote production i'm not even sure you could class it as remote pre-production just anything that you could say send across and doesn't require the person in Mm. the room the great advantage to that is i think you don't get overwhelmed with or get carried away with the idea when you're actually in the room with loud instruments. We talked about it before, um, that, you know, the great jams that you have in rehearsal rooms tend not to make the best songs (laughs) because you just tend to get carried away and they go on and on. You listen back to it and you go, wow, yeah, that that eight and a half minute drum solo really wasn't worth it in the end. (laughs) Um, So the advantage that you have with kind of doing anything that might be considered remote pre-production or demoing really is you have that immediate perspective, that immediate bird's eye view that you can go away and chop and change. Mm. I mean, I will say an eight and a half minute drum solo isn't necessarily a bad thing if you're doing like prog no, rock. But... No, I saw <laughs> Neil Peart do one, rest in peace, uh, for about four and a half. And I would say at the end of the four minutes when it had 30 seconds to go, I was thinking, all right, mate, wrap it up now. And he's the greatest drummer that's ever lived. Uh, okay, so. I'll give you that, yeah. I'll give you that. The You know the Led Zeppelin album, How the West Was Won? Great live mm-hmm. album. Um, Moby Dick, which is like their drum solo song. My goodness, I never listened to that. I listened to the opening riff and then skip the next <laughs> millennium whilst he solos. I just can't. I can't do it. Anyway, <laughs> that was a massive tangent that may or may not make it into the edit. Um <laughs> So Joe, um, if a band came to you and um, the pre-production, for whatever reason, you know, it's in this weird time where we can't really meet up in a normal way, is going to be um, remote from start to finish, what mm-hmm. does that 
practically look like and in what way is that different to in person so typically i'd say the main difference is just the fact you don't have that in-person interaction Hmm. so i mean there's great things like zoom but sometimes it can be difficult to kind of get everyone online at the same time um you might only be talking to one if you're working with a band in you know the outer hebrides wi-fi connection isn't going to be great so that tends to make things a little bit difficult so i would just say kind of the the speed of interaction the ability to do things on the fly is is quite difficult Hmm. remotely i'd say that's the only that's really the main difference um and what it, the reality of it actually is, is usually the band might send me either stems or sometimes the Pro Tools or Logic files, and they're super stripped down. So they will just be, you know, a metronome, program drums, and we're not talking, you know, superior drummer or anything expensive. It just might be the Logic built-in drums. Yeah. Two DI guitar tracks that they've lobbed, you know, the free amp sim on. Uh, same with bass and a, you know, vocal that's got a smidge of compression on a usually a boat and a reverb on it as well um that's realistically what those kind of pre-productions look like and i will either typically again because we've done this over the last few months i'll go away and maybe chop and change the arrangement a bit write a few notes send them the version that I have, so that'll be the updated session that I've kind of played with and then make an appointment to have like a Zoom call with them where yeah. we can discuss ideas. Presumably it takes a lot longer in terms of time than in, fa- in face, face-to-face um, interaction. Yeah, and I think as well, it, we talked about the level of quick-fire responses. So doing remote production somewhat eliminates the ability for them to just show you ideas they might have off the cuff. So when mm. we were talking about, you know, them showing me all the songs they've ever written that they haven't recorded, that I don't think that's possible doing remote production unless they've got a hell of a lot of time to do that. Yes, which some bands might, to be fair, um, but not everyone does. Mm. So, Joe, picture picture the scene again. <laughs> Um, if you're indie... going to say indie band <laughs> okay I won't um, there's an acid jazz band <laughs> <laughs> there's an acid jazz band and they really want to work with you and you're about to start pre-production and they go Joe what do you need what do we need to do <laughs> what okay. do you say well annoyingly my point would be quite difficult for acid jazz but <laughs> <laughs> so let's go back to my indie rock band oh again. you talk oh well so um i would say again kind of do the campfire test so get a voice memo and say just get the guitarist or whoever is you know the the principal songwriter um to just quickly do a version and then figure out a tempo i think that's the biggest one so go find an app you know there's god knows how many on app store on your phone Mm. if you type it into google there's god knows how many every door has one as well and just figure out what the best tempo is. Maybe experiment with a few. I feel like this is a step that is often skipped, but is really vital. So a lot of bands, when I was just doing engineering and rather than production, you know, I didn't know what was walking through the door every day. You get bands where they quickly figure out that they go, oh, wow, this the final chorus is 30 BPM slower than the 
than the first one. I don't know how we ended up doing that. And because we now can't play it at this tempo, play it mm. at that tempo. I'd say establish it first. Obviously, if you want sections that speed up, slow down, that's cool. But I think build a tempo map is a great place to start. It's Yeah, that's a great way to start. So in my, I mean, my experience is obviously more in the sort of rock and metal area. Um, and whilst I don't do pre-production, I will, I have experienced lots of productions. Um, and in my experience, rock and metal bands tend to choose BPMs that are just a bit, too fast not all the time but they kind of go well a faster song is a better song and so they try and push themselves and sometimes you know it will mean mean that not everyone can play it properly to be blunt and then sometimes it will just harm the song because there's so many notes happening it's just a bit too quick so getting the right tempo is definitely worth spending time over Mm -hmm. so joe this acid jazz band i'm gonna pursue (laughs) it (laughs) acid jazz indie rock band um they obviously need to have certain tools to make uh, a pre-production piece demo whatever you want to call it um what would you recommend what would you suggest that they get or they or maybe already have to use yeah so i think it's one of them topic areas that's really overthought so when i say doing remote pre-production and logic and pro tools i can hear a lot of people who listen to this always go that sounds expensive i don't want to do that I'm currently working with an artist um, that hasn't picked a name yet, so I can't reference them, but they know who they are. Band. Um, and they've been doing all their pre-production on an iPad using the internal mic on GarageBand. And all the demos and pre-production sound great. Like, mm. obviously, they're not going to be the final thing, but they do the job perfectly well. So, yeah, I don't think there's not necessarily an excuse for uh, making demos or working on your pre-production. Yeah. So I think as long as it sounds almost good enough that the producer mm-hmm. can get a sense for the different parts and for what is happening in the song, that's all it needs. It doesn't need to sound like it's going to win a Grammy because it, that's not what it's there for. Yeah. Um, and again, we're talking about kind of, you know, maybe people who are new to this and maybe it's the first time they're working on pre-production. Not necessarily even people who are brand new to recording because i've worked with people as a producer that maybe have released a few singles before they've just never worked with a producer before Mm. so the one thing that always sticks out to me as a uh, producer certainly in the genres that i work on is pre-production is a great time to flesh out your arrangements so the biggest sin that i see is it tends to be two guitar bands where they will both be playing the same thing throughout the entire song. Yep. I cannot stress the importance of having multidimensional layers throughout your songs, especially choruses. Mm. And I'm not saying it needs to be a great, you know, whittling Van Halen solo, <laughs> but you need to figure out uh, either whether it's a harmony or a lead line or just flesh it out. It doesn't have to be an accurate, you know, representation of exactly what you're playing live, even though you probably could do it live. And obviously, you know, I'm not saying go the full hog and arrange for a 60 piece brass band (laughs) or whatever that you can't do live or you don't have the budget to record. But I think it is really important to create lines that can go with your rhythm parts. Mm. I tend to see brand new bands will just chug through chords for the entire song without having 
any other form of melody apart from the vocal. It's the biggest thing that will make you lift from that foundation beginnery level to standing out to like a professional yeah. sounding songwriter. It's the 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 little kind of moments of interest in a song mm-hmm. that really lift them. Um and the the danger of both playing the same thing um is that ultimately a song might get boring. Um but more maybe even more importantly in a way it may sound like there's only one guitarist in the band if you're if you know you're doing like a double tracking type thing which most bands do most rock bands do at least um it may just kind of start to sound like one big guitar and then you know you want to you want it to sound like the band so you want it to make it sound like there are two guitarists in the band surprise surprise Mm. yeah as well that leads me quite nicely onto the point of referencing so again like we stressed last week, not to do songwriting in total isolation. Mm. I think the same for pre-production. And, you know, we were talking about writing different lines and having a bit more going on in the arrangement. Find the bands that you find really interesting. So I think, you know, if you're a hard rock band, go listen to Foo Fighters. You will find that they have, you know, three or four guitar parts Mm. going on in sections. That's why I think it's important to build a list of references. And as you're doing pre-production, maybe go, right, okay, make some notes. How many guitar parts can I hear? How many synth parts can I hear? Even standard rock songs that people go, oh, yeah, they're, you know, just a straight-up rock band. You might find, oh, they've got these synth parts. They've got three or four guitar parts going on. They've got a tambourine on the snare hits that's just kind of like elevating these certain sections see what they do and see if you can incorporate it or use them as inspiration mm. in your pre-production love love a bit of extra percussion in a song always mm-hmm. helps um and i, I want to say sort of speaking to uh, my crowd <laughs> um as a, a sort of rock band don't be afraid of synths <laughs> you're you're not going to turn into um some 80s heavy synth kind of band if you try and use them um they are great for thickening up parts of songs they're great for adding random bits of interest and a lot of songs include synth parts that you almost you almost can't hear because they're kind of tucked in there's loads of them all over the place and if you find your favorite artists and your favorite bands and you really try and tune into what is happening in each song you'll be able to quite quickly hear things that you maybe even haven't heard before um interesting parts interesting ideas um that should spur you on in your production yeah a fantastic anecdote that is very similar to that is i was working i'm sure they won't mind i was working with a band called rivia for the first time so they'd never worked with a producer before and i insisted that we put some synths on their track (laughs) and i'd I hope they won't mind me saying this, that they were very much against the idea. They were like, no, we're, we're a rock band with two, two guitars, bass, drums, vocals, that's it. Anyway, one lunch hour later, they had synths on their choruses. And I said, um, you know, I've put some synths on the, synths on the track. And they went, no, no, you haven't. Like, we can't, we can't hear it. Then I muted the synths and they went, oh my God, what's happened to the song? Like it, does, it, it doesn't sound right. Where, where's it gone? Like all this middle bits missing. That, so yeah, again, like Phil said, quite often synths can be almost like this foundation that mm. you really can't hear by themselves. But as soon as you take out, you go, oh, 
Where's the song gone? Don't fear the simps. <laughs> Basically. So, Joe, in your traditional sort of four-piece band, let's call mm-hmm. them an indie rock band again, why not? <laughs> My favourite. Um, they often, not always, but they'll often have one vocalist who's the main singer, um, mm-hmm. who maybe between them and the rest of the band, maybe not, will be doing backing vocals for a song. And it may be mm-hmm. that live there aren't any backing vocals because maybe there's just one singer. But, you know, backing vocals are the kind of thing that bring a song to life when it's been recorded. So in terms of pre-production and maybe thinking of backing vocal parts and things like that, where would you recommend bands start? Yeah, I would say this is where remote pre-production actually has a massive advantage because the sooner you can figure out your vocal arrangements and just getting the notes right and where they're going to be, you are at such a massive advantage when you go into the studio. We've talked about the absolute nightmare of standing in the studio (laughs) with the chorus on loop trying to figure out a vocal harmony. The sooner you can figure out, the, the better. And again, similar how we were talking about new bands and they kind of have a homogenous arrangement throughout. Again, listen to influences and even bands that you think might have very minimal arrangements. Their vocal productions is one of the things that make choruses pop. So I would say at a minimum, figure out harmonies for your choruses. Um work on maybe uh, some backing vocal arrangements for bridges as well. Worst case scenario, you can mute them. Yeah. So you can't have too many, but you want to avoid a situation where you're desperately trying to come up with them last minute. It's better to have them and not need them than need them and not have them in the studio. That's when you start desperately wailing around the scale trying to find the right right notes. (laughs) Yeah, and I think it also informs... It informs the whole pre-production process as well because if you figure out some killer uh, vocal arrangements, then you go, okay, cool, maybe we don't need these other things because they're distracting from them. It's not something I don't think that can be figured out in the studio or certainly I'd say you're at a massive advantage if you can figure out beforehand. Hmm. So um, after my little interview i guess it's an interview (laughs) with joe um i hope you enjoyed it um i think pre-production is a really really important part of your um releasing and recording of um, a piece of music and especially if you're working with a producer such as joe here um it's an absolutely vital part of getting the songs right in all sorts of different ways that really really shouldn't be overlooked is really important yeah it's hugely underestimated mm. i feel is the, is, is the big thing and i've never ever worked with a band who have gone oh we spent too much time doing pre-production didn't we <laughs> like all of them say oh my gosh i wish we'd done more even if we didn't loads anyway but anyway let's move on to this week's uh, featured song so this week's featured song is uh pride by the band peak made sure I got that in the right order. So uh, (laughs) without further ado, here it is. Uh, It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from him.